This episode of the DJ Force X podcast is proudly sponsored by Fixed. Fixed is a fan and artist-friendly independent record label that specializes in hybrid electronic rock. It's home to the likes of Cell Dweller, Blue Starly, I Will Never Be The Same, Richie Nicks, The Algorithm, Voicians, CD Akira, and a whole bunch more. Check out their latest label sampler for just one dollar. At their official store, FixedStore.com. That's F-I-X-T-Store.com. Save 10% off your first order by using my coupon code FORCEX. That's F-O-R-C-E-X. They have loads of shirts, hoodies, stickers, posters, and many other accessories for all their artists. And this is available worldwide with fantastic international shipping rates to go with that. So head over to fixstore.com and check them out. And don't forget, use my coupon code FORCEX. Hello and welcome to the DJ Force X show. Episode 33. I've dropped the podcast, thrown in the show. Uh... Just because it sounds a little bit better. It was the name of my radio show, which brings me to my next thing of my radio show is actually three years old this month. It's made it to three, which is amazing. I didn't think it would last that long. Maybe I didn't think my interest would keep in it that long, but it's still there. It's every Tuesday night, 11 o'clock UK time on TotalRock.com. You can work out your time zones and the difference of that. Where I'm here in the East Coast, it's actually 6 p.m. in the afternoon. So it's a nice early evening show. And it's also on Saturday nights at midnight East Coast time. It's about five o'clock in the morning for you UK people. Um, on the mix.fm, that's M-I-X-X.fm. Both are available via the TuneIn radio app for your smartphone, which is a free app. And if you like listening to radio, get that app. It's great. Just put it on. You can find pretty much any radio station in the whole world. Um, which is great for me because I like to listen to like some of the sports stuff in the UK that you just don't get here. So I use that, um, and anyone else can use that as well as long as you've got a smartphone. But they also have the streams available on their website, both for um, any well for any device. So go check them out, TotalRock.com and TheMix.fm. And also, after they've aired on those shows, I put it up for on demand on MixCloud.com forward slash DJ Force X. Now, it's a full-on plug for this show because I want the people who listen to this show to listen to my music show as well. You only hear me briefly barking over giving what I've just played and things like that on the show. So you don't have to put up with my voice for that long. But it's just a pure mix, an hour-long mix of music. Just a solid block of music. Go check it out on Mixcloud. See if you like the style of it. It's kind of that electronic and rock kind of fused together in just a solid club style mix anyway on to other things uh, i want to say thank you to everyone who downloaded the last episode with riley from thrice uh not only was that a fun interview to do um it actually is turning out to be one of my most downloaded episodes so far so uh for those who have continued to listen on from that one and are here right now listening to me warble on thank you and anyone before that who was subscribing and downloading before that thank you again please i ask this on most episodes please rate and review this show on itunes it will help it immensely the downloads are one thing but the reviews 
the attention on that side of things is just the next level stuff. I can pretty much see how many times this show gets accessed via either a stream or a download. And that's it. I don't really see subscribers, how many I have. Um, I can't really find the tool for that right now that's free. Um, But please, if you can, rate and review. And I will love you forever. And I'll give you a shout out on my show as well. So if you can do that, that would be awesome. Other things in the news this week for me. um, Football, soccer, the season has finished. I am a Liverpool fan and we didn't end on the greatest note in the whole world. I think we were like eighth in the Premier League. Uh, We didn't win the Europa League Cup. uh, And we obviously finished runners-up in the um, League Cup as well. So kind of second place, second place, eighth place. But on to next season. And this summer as well, we have the European Championships. So hopefully England will do well. If not, I'll just watch the tournament as it is. Anyway, I've kept you long enough. I've warbled along far too much. So this is Stephen, a.k.a. Seamless. Enjoy. Welcome. Thanks. Fun to be here. Cool, man. And how are you today? Pretty good. How are things with you? Yeah, things are good. Yep. Yep. Weather's good. Everything's Good times. Cool, cool. So, uh, seamless, um, or seamless R, but I understand that the R is silent. Is that correct? The R is indeed silent. Okay. And why is that? Well, once upon a time, I was just seamless. Okay. And but this was like long before I started. I did anything music-wise. It was the name I used for like online video games. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever I would try to make an account on like a forum or youtube or soundcloud or anything the seamless being a real word was already taken as a name and so i I put the r at the end of it and that was because i was trying really hard not to do like the typical like seamless official or seamless and a bunch of numbers kind of thing yeah so i just did the r because it just essentially stands for i am the real seamless okay cool And, and was it your first ep that was titled the r is silent that That was the second one second one Uh, sorry yeah the first ep was just it was called momentum Uh, that was actually i was still trying to be just seamless but then um there actually is another seamless uh that does electronic music there's actually a bunch of there's a there's like a metal band in uh some midwestern state that does that's called seamless yeah uh but there's a there's an artist that does tech house in the uk called seamless and he has been around longer than me so i i don't have the greatest claim to just being just seamless. Okay. So I adopted seamless R as being the actual, like that's literally the name. And then the joke is the R salad. So okay. I'm just seamless. Cool. Cool. Um, so uh, can I get a bit of background on yourself? Like how long you've been going? Uh, things like that. Uh, how, how far back you want to go? As far as you want to go. <laughs> All right. Well, I was born September 22nd, <laughs> 1988. Um, my father is a jazz slash rock drummer. His side of the family is his, his brothers. My uncles are all musical individuals. And, uh, so I've always grown up around music around when I was like seven, my parents decided I needed to have some kind of extracurricular thing to be doing. And they, they, they asked me if I wanted piano lessons and they, I said, yes, because why not? And I had uh, essentially, I did classical piano training with a little bit of jazz for eight or nine years before I ever looked at a dog. 
And uh, then around 2004, and my sophomore year of high school, I went to Pioneer Valley Performing Arts, which is a performing arts charter school in Massachusetts, and they offered classes on all kinds of stuff, and one of them was electronic music production. Nice. And that's where I saw my first copy of FL Studio, nice. back then still called Fruity Loops because they hadn't been sued by Kellogg yet. Yep, I remember it well. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, I just want to be clear to people who are listening that I was actually given an option between uh, then Reason 2 and FL3, the difference being they had they had a Mac lab and a PC lab. Yeah. Uh, my parents are also career programmers, so I've always been around computers, and I've been very big PC guy pretty much forever. Yeah. So FL was kind of the logical choice. And uh, then I just kind of messed around with it. I had no real intention of do, doing anything really professional with it for a very long time. Um, I got interested in doing... Uh, metal stuff. I did that for a lot for a, for a little, little bit, yeah. and then I, uh, like I've always been inspired by people like uh, Noisia and Skrillex and that like that style of sound design. Even a little bit of older Soundweller stuff, actually. Yeah, and uh, I just wasn't that great at it, especially early on. So like I, I, I gravitated towards simpler in terms of like engineering things like metal and rock and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then around 2011, 2012, I discovered a couple, like, serious game changers in terms of sound design, fundamental theory, and I learned some stuff that allowed me to do what I've always wanted to do. And I made an immediate 180 and started doing, like, heavy bass music, electronic stuff, even though at the time, and also still now, I am in a metal band. Okay. I was going to ask, because your your look, I've seen a couple of pictures of you. You don't strike me as a typical, like, electronic artist. (laughs) Just the huge beard and the long hair um yep. so yeah i was gonna ask you if you're into metal and you've, you've answered that already so <laughs> um so that's cool so yeah tell me about your metal band cool so in 2010 ish we started um it was out of a a pretty weird idea that i can't believe we ever thought was gonna work um we had a band that uh we at the time we called god eater that um had two drummers three guitarists i was a i was just a keyboardist and i think a whole bunch of vocalists like a lot of people yeah. were in this band and we had like a practice before it just imploded <laughs> and the remainder of the people who was who were who were there were one of the drummers the vocalist and me and we formed a second band called krakatoa okay that was the band i'm still in that band but we actually reverted to our old name uh, god eater after the drummer left he'd been in the band for five years Okay. And uh, he moved on to different things, and now we have a new drummer. So we said that we had made a pact early on that if any of the original members left, that we wouldn't call it Krakatoa anymore. Yeah. So we are called God Eater. Cool. And what what kind of metal? I mean, I could probably guess from the name, but if you wanna, yeah, <laughs> um, it's a real it's a real hard thing to parse. Our vocalist refers to our our parent genre as blackened stoner metal. Okay. We have a lot of influences from a whole bunch of places. Like early on. I actually wasn't like when I started in the band, I wasn't really that versed in metal. Um, I knew like three bands and I, and then my, the vocalist who was like this metal historian <laughs> me in with some serious stuff that at the time I didn't really get or even like that much, Yeah, but I learned how to do it and I eventually grew appreciation for it. And now I definitely have a lot of a, a lot much like a much more refined ear for it. Um, we, uh, Right now, like with with our new drummer, who is very different from my old drummer, we our lineup is practically one hundred percent different from what it was like when we started, mm-hmm. and the sound reflects that, and it's really all over the place. Is what I'm trying to say. All right, cool. No, I have to check it out because I, I like my metal. So uh, I was in a metal band myself. So it's um, yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll check it out. So it's called God Eater. 
Yep. Is there all a SoundCloud, etc. Everything. There's actually nothing for that yet. Uh, there's a Bandcamp actually. I lie. There's a Bandcamp, and all okay. the old Krakatoa stuff is still there. There's uh, three albums. Um, God Eater. We're we're still writing our first actual God Eater album. Okay. And none of that is available anywhere yet. No. All right. I'll check out Krakatoa then. I'll find that on uh, Bandcamp. So. Cool. The Bandcamp is still called God Eater. All right. Okay. So the Bandcamp's yeah. called God Eater, but it's got the Krakatoa. Yeah. Music on there. Okay. Cool. I will definitely check that out. Yay. Uh, I was in uh, a sort of like doom sludge band for about three years before I moved here. Uh, nice. Called Victorian Whore Dogs. And um, yeah, they're still going. They just released their first album. But yeah, it's, uh, it was that kind of like Will Haven-esque kind of uh, neurosis-y kind of sound. Sure. If you are aware of those bands. Um, I'm familiar with the neurosis at least. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was like kind of that sort of like, you know, drawn out long heavy kind of screaming and things like that so mm. it's all good so yeah um cool so um back to your uh seamless uh side of things uh the electronic side of things i could definitely hear sort of some of the rock influences in your music uh with the way you use um like bass guitar things like that in some of the tracks and um I was just talking about your your current ep uh wizard bass um which is i've got to say a fantastic name <laughs> obviously when 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 uh the guys at fix sent it to me it was just like i was instantly listening to it just purely off the name so <laughs> uh, it's great i love the tracks uh ruin um which i played on my show last week and uh glass which, ah. is, which is a cool track so and it's uh very varied in it's like electronic styles you got a bit of drum and bass in there uh, a little bit of house and some hard style that last track um, oh, yeah. which the name escapes me um modulators of the universe that's the one modulators of the universe um kind of like veers on that hard style like kind of old school old school like hardcore gabba type thing yep um which is cool so what 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 influences you on the electronic side of things obviously i know you mentioned like skrillex and things like that are there any like other artists in particular that really kind of molded that sound that you have well uh pretty much the entirety of like 2005 to 2009 drum and bass okay. is like what i was really into like like i mentioned noisier earlier pretty much everybody that's ever been on uh uh invisible records um pendulum obviously like a lot of that and uh you, you probably heard plenty of that in uh ruin and even a little bit in glass because yes. uh that was a, a, like like a lot of really old um posai is that how you say his name uh-huh and like that, like seriously influenced me. And it's funny because like that sound, the ruin especially was the sound that I have been trying to do since the very beginning of me being a producer that I only like 12 years later, I've like figured out. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, that, that sort of drum and bass area is pretty good. Um, I come from, obviously I'm from the UK. So we had a lot of the sort of jungle movement, which was kind of sure. pretty drum and bass. Um, so my sort of like, my influence come from like Goldie, Fotech, um sort of off the metalheads label and yep. Ren- renegade hardware as well if you've heard of that label um i don't think so okay they're they're no longer a label but they they uh were known for releasing uh eps um every sort of three four months um various artists um a lot of the uh sort of big drum and bass artists that came out, like chase and status things like that released off them like <laughs> initial releases and things nice um but if you check them out i mean you can hear them on i think spotify apple music whatever you're using um to listen to your music so um and they're very like the sort of like harder side darker side of drum and bass as well 
Oh yeah, I've I've always been into like the the super dark, like ultra bassy, just like seriously dense sounding yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like, um, I'm really into uh billin kind of things. Yeah. Like that that's that particular style of like neuro. Um, it's funny funny you mentioned like the streaming services because back even back then I was listening to this stuff on iTunes Radio. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like that was the only way I knew how to listen to that kind of stuff because. Like this is like YouTube didn't do anything back then. Like it wasn't around that oh, much. True. Yeah. And there wasn't like there was like Rhapsody. That was pretty much it. Besides just like iTunes, and I wasn't really big on paying for music. Which I mean, that's a common problem <laughs> that kids cool. have. Yes. <laughs> so I, iTunes Radio, it was. Yes. Yeah, so no, I used to get sent like promos and stuff back in the day, like white labels and things like that. So mm. that's how I heard a lot of these artists. And then Renegade came along and kind of like. um really sort of like because I, I was kind of bored of the junglist movement and then like when drum and bass like when it came out of that it was kind of a minimalist kind of sounding drum and bass like the two-step um and the bass lines were quite thin they weren't as like heavy as they are now i uh, guess the liquid yes yes yeah liquid and um and then it sort of when when like renegade came out it was that it was that heavy dark drum and bass that kind of i've kind of wanted for a long time but never never heard it i mean there are a few tracks here and there that kind of um went dark there was uh one by dillinger called angels fell um which sort of sampled blade runner but mm. um it's quite a dark track um and then there's one uh what's the other one like called out of body experience or something it was one of the sort of classic sort of jungle tracks of the time it kind of like crossed over um and yeah it was just sort of like and then obviously people like uh like pendulum and things like that sort of became a bit more mainstream and that came with that heavy sound that they have because obviously they doubled it up as a band as well which kind of mm -hmm. helps because you get those frequencies when you have those instruments yes it's, it's so, definitely answer so so do you do you perform live do you like dj out or like perform these tracks live or are you just more studio based as far as seamless goes uh, i am pretty much 100 percent studio based mm -hmm. and I have actually, I have tried to do the DJ thing. I've done it twice. Um, I've also done like, I've, I've played out like in actual places and been using like, uh, and doing shows. I've also done like in the studio sort of live streamed DJ stuff. Mm. And like, I don't know if it's because I've, I'm used to being in a metal band, but it bores the hell out of me. <laughs> it's a, it's a serious problem. I can't get into it. And like, I, I've like studied people who do like, dj shows and like out because i know like you know noisier does it and, yeah. and and i've been to like a skrillex show like it was super energetic but like i can't get into that as as hard as they do and i like i just have to be doing things which is why like uh recently um i had this i had this bass guitar it's called a uh an industrial radio midi bass all right industrial radio being the company name yeah. and the midi bass being what it is and it's an actual bass guitar. It's a four-string. They have a five-string model, too. And it's MIDI-tracked. Right. Which, like, typical guitar MIDI-tracking is accomplished through pitch like, detection, that kind of thing, which yeah. works fine for normal guitars because they're high enough frequency to be able to do that. But bass, bass strings are a little floppy for that kind of detection. So the, what the MIDI bass does is that the frets themselves are actually wired. So that when you make contact with a string, that's how it knows where it is, what pitch, like what actual note's supposed to be, and uh, it does no on-off based on piezo inputs and a whole bunch of other really awesome stuff. And there's also this thing called the radio pick, which is just a straight-up radio transmitting pick that 
uh, can perfectly track note on off based on just playing with a pick. And so with a combination of these extremely reliable sources, it comes across as perfect mini tracking. Mm. And like mm-hmm. I, the greatest thing that could possibly happen out of this is that some kind like because I've, I've, I've you mentioned Pendulum being like, you know, they had a, a real band yeah. and like as cool as that was and it was really cool. I feel like it had a negative influence on what I liked in their sound. Like, and this is a personal opinion as all hell. Like I obviously people like, you know, in silico onward, then that's fine. But I've always been a much more of a fan of the hold your color kind of stuff. Yeah. And like the sort of band versions of the hold your color tracks were fine, but they weren't the hold your color tracks. No. And that's always been a tremendous limitation of live performance is that like, how do you play the perfect studio, the synthesis versus uh, you play a live yeah. without, you know, compromising. Yeah. And so like the greatest for thing for me in the world would be no compromise playing the actual tracks like live with as least like the minimal amount of backing track as possible. Like, and that's really stupendously hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For that style of music, the, um, cause I've run a few bands that have that kind of crossover sound, but they had definitely have, um, backing tracks to make it, uh like yeah like like the album version because it is it is difficult to get that sound out of that once you produce something fully in the album and then like then you play it live it doesn't like you say it doesn't always work and so like with pendulum those those albums of the sorry the tracks of the first album translating live without the extra layers like in the background doesn't work because they weren't built on a band yeah. Whereas in Silico onwards, we're kind of built towards that um, that sound, that setup. Yeah. So that when they do play it live, it sounds like the album, the studio. Yeah, and like there's also groups like the Chemists who have were always that. So it it's yeah. it makes a lot more sense in the sound, and it works for them. But I also I also want to I, I want to play like the really complex like super narrow stuff, and I want to be in control of it. I want to be responsible for it. Yeah. And because that's what I am like when I'm playing the bass in my metal band, which like when you when you find my metal band and if you like see pictures of it uh, on my Facebook page or whatever, um, you might notice that I have uh, another bass guitar that has two keyboards attached to it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that's because I mentioned in the, in the original God Eater days, I actually was just a keyboardist. But um, funny thing about the Krakatoa days is that we couldn't keep a bassist to save our life. <laughs> so like we we literally went through seven of them before we ever played our first show. Okay. And, yeah, and then we, we tried a couple more, and like they were all right. But like the ultimate resolution was that like I just decided that I would do both. I would play keyboards and I would play bass, okay. and which wasn't it, it wasn't that difficult because we did, kind of designed both things to be not very obtrusive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like t- tremendously technically difficult. It's just that the system I had to design to be able to do that was kind of a lot. Um, but like I'm responsible for everything. It's all happening live. No, no, there's no real backing tracks and there actually could not have been backing tracks because our original drummer also couldn't stay in time to save his life <laughs> it's a fantastic drummer like he does the the craziest stuff yeah, but yeah. timing is now not a strong suit no which in a live environment doesn't really matter because we can all we can organically change with it but if we have a backing track that's a problem yeah so everything has to be triggered live yeah and so i did okay and, and i'm i'm used to that kind of responsibility and that kind of just like control over everything and doing anything less just feels lame as hell. Yeah. So with the, the did you manufacture that yourself? The bass guitar with the keyboards on it. 
Yeah, the first model, um, I just I literally just like epoxy keyboards onto like the empty space on, like, on a bass guitar. Okay. And that lasted a pretty pretty long time. And then the second version, I drilled, I, I like created a plywood support that I sort of attached to the bass itself. Um, I got like a crappy used bass, like damaged bass. To try that too, because I wouldn't recommend drilling into a nice bass. No, no. <laughs> I was gonna say, but not been a, a nice bass to do that too. So, but yeah, no, yeah. get those cheap ones, and then you can do whatever you want to them. Precisely. That was that was really you know handy for experimentation purposes to learn about like ergonomic and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, actually, like with, with the MIDI bass, I have plans to do that too. But the, what the way I'm doing with that is with Velcro. Okay. Because uh, one of the limitations of having the MIDI, like the the keyboards attached to it, is that it can't fit in any kind of guitar case. No, no. And with the sort of permanent design of the plywood thing, I just like left the bass like by itself, like in our car when we're driving to shows and stuff. And there's no way in hell I'm doing that to the MIDI bass. No, no. I was going to say that that is that. I've seen like MIDI guitars, like advanced ones, like price wise. Is that that bass particularly? Is it is it expensive? It's around four thousand dollars. How? It's a lot. That's a lot of money. You don't want to be sticking stuff to that, like drilling through it or anything. So nope, I no. saved up an extremely long time for that bass, and I I actually like labored over putting the Velcro on it. You can't you can't program it to trigger what you need it to trigger or. I could, but like the sort of the way that the, the bass playing works is that there's keyboard parts and then there's the bass line, and the bass line is simple enough that I can just tap the bass line. Okay. I can just like so like the idea is that I'm, I am playing both at the same time. Okay. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, because imagine it being because I'm a bass. My bass guitar is my sort of like weapon of choice, if you will. It was the one that I the the first instrument I really learned. Um, obviously, I picked up guitars, played piano and stuff before, but not learned how to play it. Mm. I just work stuff out. But a bass guitar I actually went to. Um, I went to school to learn, so, um, but yeah, just sort of like uh, like knowing to do those two things at the same time just seems it's, it's quite incredible to be honest with you. <laughs> just thinking about it because um, like I was in a, I was a DJ in a band for a while, uh, scratch DJ, so I was triggering samples, scratching, doing vocals as well at the same time. So I get the multitasking part of it, but strapping a keyboard to a like a bass guitar is just like having the you know the whereabouts to do it sounds really cool so it honestly i didn't think it would work like while i was doing it mm. the idea like I, I i suggested the idea and then my vocalist like encouraged me to do it and later i found out he was drunk while we were having a conversation <laughs> and he was all like this is great he was tech <laughs> couldn't necessarily read how inebriated he was but and like every step of the way i cuz like a lot of stuff has to work for this to be a thing yeah cuz the way this works is that like i have the bass I plug the I, I run all I do my tones I do all the synth stuff on the laptop on stage, yeah. and then I run it all through a PA if like they don't have a front of house setup and the um so I do the bass signal into the into FL and then I do the keyboard MIDI wise I have like this uh, the USB hub on the bass because it's two keyboards and then I have a USB extension cable that goes to the the thing and then I have I have a pedal board I have an uh, FCB ten ten from Behringer which has 10 switches, uh, some page switches, and then two expression pedals. Okay. And all that goes to MIDI. And I, like, a part of making this work is that I cheat as hard as possible <laughs> on as much as I can. <laughs> and so, like, on the pedal board, um, I, especially in the earlier songs that were originally written for, like, a full piano, I had an 88-key keyboard controller with, like, you know, two-handed parts. So what I would do is that for all the things that were left-handed... I would record out as samples 
and then I would I would put them up on the triggers on the on the uh, pedal board, yeah. and then all the right hand stuff I'd play on the actual keyboard, and then I play the bass line. So I'm like foot triggering stuff, keyboard, bass, all at the same time, and just like initially just imagining this happening, I'm like, there's no way. Like the latency can match up, the the, the connections are good. All, there's too many places for failure. There's way too many yeah. like links in the chain there. And I was just like flabbergasted that it worked the first time I did it. That's crazy because even in my head right now, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, how does that work? So I'm gonna have to witness. If you got any live videos or anything, I have to witness that happening. So uh, there's a there's a couple of really terrible recordings that are that are around. There's a video demonstration of it actually on my YouTube channel. I was, yeah, if, I was gonna ask if your youtube channel had that so if you look up uh the, the actual the technical term for this instrument is the super bass double guitar okay if you google that you'll find it yeah <laughs> cool i'll definitely look that one up as well so that's cool yeah so with this this uh, the new midi bass thing you've got right now um is that wireless or is that still require a cable it requires a cable it has like this vga cable thing that it connects to that okay. it um goes out to a breakout box that um, and it actually does a lot of really neat stuff. It it takes the MIDI, the regular pickup uh, control, which there is also a regular out for, yeah. and um, the piezo outputs as well as a separate thing. But the piezo outputs aren't – it's not like a whole thing. It's actually separate piezo outputs for every string. And this is actually – this is part of what they refer to as the imprint system, where what you do is you link link up those piezo outputs and you put them into – Something like uh, they actually have a reactor plugin they made that they put out, but uh, you could do this manually too if you know how. Mm. Um, where you generate an, an envelope follower to follow the piezo outputs, and then you link that to the volume of outputs on the strings. And the strings can also output uh, to, to individual MIDI channels per string. Oh wow! So yeah, so you can link like the same thing on, it, on all four strings, and then you have that volume follower on the piezo level. Mm. So it's like direct volume control based on like literal expression of the strings crazy it's really really cool when it works yeah no i can I, like i mean for the price you pay for it i expect it to do everything for you but that's that sounds just like that's that's just crazy like everything you can do with it like assigning everything separately as well that's just yeah and like w- with the configuration of the four like the separate midi channels and routing and also a lot of about how fl handles midi routing and channels that kind of thing mm-hmm. i could actually uh manually zone the guitar not just per string, but like like amount of frets. I could have the first four strings up to the sixth fret be one sound, and then like the, the ensuing six frets be another sound. Mm. So like I have vertical range enough to play a whole range on one sound, and I just move up the neck to play the next sound. That's crazy. That- it's, the possibilities are really endless, and I haven't explored enough to to understand like the real limits of yeah. uh, performing with it. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to catch up on a lot of this stuff because I was um very much into my like electronic stuff before i left uh the uk uh i went to like a couple of like trade shows or you know expos or whatever um that they had in the uk at the time and um yeah i kind of fell out of it when i came here uh, i continued djing like i said i've got the radio show and stuff but mm. um as for actual like instruments and things like that i've kind of fallen back because a lot of my stuff is still in the uk i'm trying to bring over here so i've got all my bass guitars and my regular guitars Mm. Uh, my my turntables are still over there so it's just kind of like eventually once i get enough money it'll all come over but i've kind of uh been out of the loop so to speak on on this kind of technology so because uh, i like i think a couple of years ago it was as much as a keytar was probably as close as you were going to get to you know what you're explaining to, you now, to me now um 
and yeah and that was that was still very like retro kind of comeback but then didn't so um, yeah and like there have been fully just perfectly okay midi guitar like form factor guitars that have like you know the buttons on the frets and the yeah uh, like the touchpad on the on where you would strum and that kind of thing yeah and and like the zitar and that kind of stuff yeah and those are all perfectly fine but I really just like the aesthetic and the form factor and the realism of an actual bass guitar. Yeah. So does it feel like an actual, like, uh, heavy-wise, like, the weight of it, the feel of it, it all feels like what would be a normal bass guitar? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a real bass guitar. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's made out of um, uh, parts from uh, Warmouth. War okay. Warmouth. Warwick. Warmouth. War War yeah. And um, it's just got, like, an, an unprecedented amount of electronics in it. It's really okay. the rest of that. Cool. That's, that sounds amazing. I'm gonna have to definitely check that one out. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, you, we mentioned uh, you mentioned your YouTube channel. Um, let's chat a little bit about that. Uh, you do like uh, tutorials and things, is that right? Indeed. Yeah, and um, I see you offer lessons on your website as well. Um, yes. So, how did that come about? I mean, I was, I've, I've seen various things online when I wanted to learn a bit more about Ableton and stuff like that. I go on YouTube or I go on uh, what's the other Linda dot com. Um, mm. But yeah, how did that come about? How did you uh, get started with that? Well, um, around 2012, I actually made my YouTube channel in 2008. And that's because I, at the time, I fancied myself a, a gamer of games. Yeah. And I had some videos of me playing some stuff. And uh, that never really went anywhere. I wasn't really, it was not really a thing. Mm -hmm. I also didn't like get the YouTube landscape well enough to ever have made it a thing. I remember, like, until I started doing tutorials, the video that I, that I had a video that had 70,000 views on it, which was the most views I'd ever got on anything combined, and it was a Minecraft video. <laughs> and, like, I was like, oh, I should just do Let's Plays now. And, like, that's, that's what's happening, right? And I get flopped immediately. So it was, it was, it was a weird time. But I, I kind of left it alone. I didn't really do anything with it until around uh, 2012. And that was when I mentioned before that I discovered some sound design like theory that really opened up everything for me. Mm. And it and also a couple of new stuff because um at the time ImageLine's plugin Harmer was like an, a year or so old. I don't know where it came out. It was probably one or two years old. It was pretty new. And this is an additive synthesis plugin and additive synthesis itself while not being terribly new, it still wasn't like as widely adopted as like regular FM and subtractive stuff is. So a lot of tricks with it were totally out of people's radar. Mm. And one of the things that I would do, because if you think about um, sound design of a lot of like old noisy stuff, like the, the word that comes up a lot when everyone's like, how do you do that? People would go resampling. Yeah. And like, you just got to resample, resample, whatever. So the first thing I did with Harmer is I tried to resample a bass in it because you can resynthesize sounds in it. And it comes out as like, sounds like it's, you're playing the audio again, even though it's really been synthesized. Yeah. So, um, that that was a big kicker because uh, I, I didn't really get this about there's there's a lot about sound design I didn't know back then but um, unison isn't really an effect like an audio effect so much as it is a voice effect mm. and there's ways of doing that to like in post processing that I just wasn't good at but um, because Harmer resynthesized it I could just use Harmer's internal unison settings and process it in such a way that it gave me it gave me the results I had always wanted pretty immediately and so fantastically and so just like easily and fast that like after i did it i was just like i i have to tell people 
<laughs> they have to know about this. This is too much. <laughs> and uh, I made a video about it. I posted it on the ImageLine forums. And then Scott, uh, Scott Fisher, the guy who does all the PR and stuff for ImageLine, I think his title is Communications Director, <laughs> he uh, posted my video on the FL Studio Facebook page. Yeah. Which, like, boosted the hell out of everything. And, like, that, that like, I did that right after that, like, immediately after this, or maybe it was before, around, like, the same time, I'd also discovered a couple of fundamental truths about FM synthesis, which, I, love, I mean, it's still pe- kind of confusing to people who are new, but back then, it was, like, the, the boogeyman of sound design, that whenever anyone did something that nobody understood, they just automatically attributed it to FM. And uh, so I made some videos about that, and, like, I made, like, two or three videos, and then after they had, they had blogged, like, every single one, I was like, you know... I could do it. I could do this. I could just like, I could just do this. And, uh, I just kind of kept on with it. Yeah. And grew. <laughs> cool. So how many subscribers are you up to now? Uh, let me check. 100,000, That's pretty good. So how many videos do you have on there right now? You know, uh, like 1300. Oh, wow. So regular content then. So anyone into kind of electronic music or wants to learn more, it's probably a good place to go. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I work for the for those of you who may not know this about me. I work primarily in FL Studio, yeah. but I do try to present the information in such a way that it can be accessible in other DAWs because for the most part, all the DAWs these days at least do kind of the same stuff just in different ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been across a few of them. Uh, I've used uh, Fruity Loops back in the day. Uh, I haven't used it since they kind of went FL Studio wise, but you know, back in the day when I didn't have any money and kind of downloaded programs to use, that was one of them. So um, yeah, but but now I'm old enough and earning enough money to pay for these programs, and thankfully they've come down in price. So you know, because back then Cubase was almost a thousand thousand pounds. Yeah, the software was incredibly expensive back then. I like yeah. that. I like that most. Uh... Like even even across other artistic like realms of production and that kind of thing, most software is coming to like a subscription model. Yes, yeah, I've noticed that with uh, Adobe recently. I went back into sort of web design and um, went to see how much Dreamweaver was, and found that they're actually doing it at like twenty bucks a month if you use it like professionally. So yeah, and if you get like a student discount, you can get all of it, like all like the CS6 stuff, like the whole thing for like yeah. fifty bucks every three months, something like that. It's like. Yeah, it's really cool. accessible considering beforehand that it cost you five thousand dollars. Yes, yeah. Well, the educational discount's always been good on those because uh, when I was learning um, web design things like that uh, through the college I was at, we got um, the entire like uh, it wasn't Adobe then; it was actually Macromedia, I think. Oh man, I uh, forgot. That. Yeah, it's a Macromedia suite, so I got that um, Flash, all that. Well, not Flash, but yeah, Flash like Shockwave. Shockwave, that was it. Um, and their equivalent of photoshop at the time uh, fireworks yeah and like uh i don't know if you're familiar with the um the east west sample libraries no they're uh extraordinarily large and really high quality like orchestra stuff and they also do they have other kinds of sound design as well but they're primarily known for their orchestra libraries yeah they're they're kind of like like think about like the depth and size and use of like superior drummer but for orchestras nice and and they've always been like Adobe expensive. That's been yeah. their kind of thing. But they recently went over to a subscription model as well, which I think is like huge because the stuff 
the stuff is powerful and that people having access to it will net be a net good for everyone uh, i guess it cracks down on uh cracked versions of it as well so ah uh, yes yeah so you have to subscribe to it you can't like just get the get the program and then you know have it have run on its own. So, yeah that's cool so um we're gonna talk a bit about your studio um obviously you're seeing some pictures of it i was just wondering what your favorite piece of gear was well, right now I'm th- I'm 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 quite enamored with uh, my uh, my Eurorack modular synth setup. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually introduced to the concept uh, when I when I was hanging out with uh, BT like two years ago, mm-hmm. and then eventually I got when I got signed to fix it. Then it became you know uh, Clayton's ridiculous studio, yes, <laughs> full of magical gear and like space age wonderment. <laughs> And uh, so I, 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 that was what that was. His studio was the first time I ever actually got to have hands-on time with the stuff when I uh, visited them in Detroit yeah. a year and a half ago, I think. And um, so then, like, I, I slowly started building a small amount of it, and now I've got. Um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fourteen modules, cool. and it's like. I've always this is a very interesting like a philosophical like quandary for me because I've always been I've always been in favor of the digital realm and like doing things in post and I've I've been like a serious opponent to people who try to tell anyone that analog anything is better <laughs> and not because it is or isn't but because like their thoughts and like their studies are all dumb and like so I especially because like there have been plenty of people who you know do the double blind test and no one can tell the difference and that kind of thing. But and as well, a big part of my whole YouTube thing is that I'm big on recreating sounds. Yeah. And I've always I've always tried to keep that like digital and with like regular sense and with and explaining things at like a basic level and not so much like you know get silent and then do the snob and you're done. Kind of like actually explaining stuff. And to that end, I have become super familiar with the limitations of digital, but. Also noting that there are some things that analog can still do that digital can't, at least not very easily. Yeah. A lot of that is kind of changing uh, more every year. Like uh, Re- Reactor 6 came out and they have their blocks architecture, which is a literal recreation of the whole modular synth thing. Nice. And part of it is that you can, like virtually anyway, route the signal into like actual like oscillator signals into something and modulate it at audio rate, which... Until I saw that happen, I wasn't aware you could do that digitally. Yeah. And but like there's still there's still a lot about like actual hardware that like functionality wise that digital it can do just not in any way the same way. Mm. Yeah. So I've been I've been experimenting with like the, the merits of analog and that kind of thing. And like it's also tremendously expensive, which like if, if I wasn't doing as well as I was with the stuff that I was doing, I would not ever do this no i can imagine that does because hardware is still expensive um, yeah i've noticed that because I've, I've been looking obviously i've got my like digital setup but i still like my live music or live instrumentation um but looking at uh, like the synth side of things that still hasn't dropped in price um and I, i've had a few in my time and the modular parts and everything like that it's just I mean, obviously they're engineered. They're limited, like engineering as well. They're not like mass-produced kind of parts, yeah, so that they are going to be expensive to a point because they're only for a specialist crowd. Yeah, they, they're not very. The scale isn't really there. No, but it's it's still the the if you've got the money to do it, then do it because the payoff is so much better uh, at the moment until the digital realm catches up, which, like you say, is doing 
you know, step by step. Um, probably eventually it will, you know, do what you need it to do completely, but uh, it's going to take a lot of engineering anyway to get that. Oh yeah, that and done, like so. insofar as like recreating the stuff that the analog hardware can do in the way that analog hardware does it, like because there's all kinds of people, all kinds of plugins and companies that have done that are are like physical modeling of analog sense and that kind of thing, which is a really roundabout way of doing that. Yeah. But um, in terms of like pure functionality, digital will always win. Like digital can always do stuff that analog could never even dream of. Yeah. It is, it is easier to kind of pick up that digital side of things and run with it. If you wanted to say, you know, play live, you just need your laptop essentially. Um, or not even that you just need, you know, something that can play sound. <laughs> pretty yeah. much so um but yeah so like until i don't know i guess if you want to have that you know experience live then you have that set up but if you don't you can always have that you know a laptop and a couple of microphones i've seen band, i've seen bands do that you know uh, <laughs> groups do that where they've literally got an mp3 player on the stage you know it's <laughs> it's yeah and you take that away from them and it's kind of well what are you going to do you know if that crashes kind of thing so um indeed yeah yeah so um, how did the relationship with fix come about well i was introduced to them uh by bt he was uh i I showed him a song i did that um had a lot of like orchestra and metal elements kind of like together Mm -hmm. because i i did kind of have this phase where all i ever wanted to do was to be uh rhapsody of fire yeah or just uh rhapsody i guess now yeah and, uh, like, I just wanted to be, like, the really big orchestra, like, epic metal. Like, I just wanted to do that forever. So I got, I, I did and tried for a long time. So I had, I had those chops kind of lying around. And I would integrate them into electronic stuff. And then and then BT was like, that's like, I have the label for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he introduced me to James Rhodes. Yep. Of, of Fixed. Yep. Label, label manager. And it all just kind of went from there. It was pretty straightforward, honestly. Well, we've had James on the show before, so... Probably whatever. We've also had Cell Dweller, uh, Brett as well, Blue Starly, and um, Richie Nix as well. So, uh, and the Chemist. Actually, I had them before they signed with Fixed. Uh, just about a month before they signed with Fixed. Um, yeah, that's that's exciting. Like, I was I was pumped as hell when I found out about that. Yeah, no, I've I've loved that group for ages. Um, like, obviously being from the UK, I, you know, heard of them back when they uh, released Stompbox because um, I was very much into the drum and bass scene around that and they were kind of near where i was based in england as well um, yeah and then talk, they... about, talk about a double whammy yeah because the, the stomp box track was awesome yeah and then the spore remix of it yes was like for a long time it was like the greatest thing i'd ever heard yeah. Yeah. and it was a huge inspiration for like what the idea of what i thought like what i wanted to do was yeah and then they they followed it up with a collaboration with mike Patton, which was completely like out of the blue it's so good to see them actually sign with Fixed for the release of their album in the, here in the US. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic album as well. So I can't really, you know, can't knock it. So it's all good. Yeah, there's a lot of talent floating around there. Yes. Yeah. And they've got another one coming with uh, Seething Akira as well. So we had, we had a big uh, artist call that introduced everybody all at once. Oh, and okay. Cool. It was interesting. And everyone got <laughs> sent everyone else's music and I had a lesson and it was, it was pretty sweet. Uh, cool. So yeah. So what are your plans going forward at the moment? Ooh, a lot of stuff. Um, like, uh, I actually recently announced a sale for lessons um, uh, for the month, until May, the end of May, I'm doing lessons at uh, $40 an hour as opposed to the usual $90 an hour. Oh, cool. 
um, and they can be scheduled whatever, just as long as the scheduling happens before the end of May. Yeah. And uh, so I'll be, I'll be doing a lot of lessons as that comes up. Yeah. I did. Um, I did. I did a similar thing last year where I did. Uh, if you schedule it during the month of July, that you get the big discount. And I, I scheduled almost all the ninety slots I had open for July. Nice. It was a busy month. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine being sat there and. Uh, is it all via Skype and everything? You do this. Yep. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And I've, I've done since I started doing lessons in like 2013. I've done thousands of them. Are they are they one to one or are they group or are they? They're one to one. One to one. Oh, that's really cool. And, and that works well for people because I've not I've not tried it. So I, I know a couple of my musician friends do this, especially when they're out on tour and things. They kind of do it in the off yeah. time and stuff. So um, I was just wondering how that worked for you. Is it is it quite comfortable in the setting? Yeah, um, it works out a lot better than I initially anticipated. And like, I actually didn't think anybody would ever have wanted lessons because I try as hard as I can to kind of put everything I know in the videos that I put on YouTube. But I can, I can understand that like if it's it's not moving at someone's pace or that I don't answer questions that I assume that you know was sort of common knowledge, which is always a problem. And uh, so they get to ask questions and they get to sort of dictate how the flow of information, which could be much more comfortable for people. Um, actually, it's funny that the lessons were initially added as a perk on uh, Patreon. Yeah. When I started doing that, and uh, that was like the reason anybody ever went to my Patreon. So I decided to have that actually be like a separate for real business. And it just kind of, it just sort of took off on its own, which is really kind of a theme about everything I do where I don't really plan for anything to happen. It just kind of does. Yeah. Like stuff I actually try to do usually doesn't work. And then stuff I didn't think at all would ever be a thing ends up being the thing. Yeah. No, I have the same kind of thing that happens to me. So I just kind of go with whatever happens. I like go with the flow kind of thing. So yeah, I tend to just fall into stuff after a while. <laughs> so rather than like, like actually think, oh, I'll do this, this, and then suddenly like it won't happen. and then. I end up dropping into something else so yeah and then beyond that um i'm still trying to like develop a way to play live shows with the midi bass and that kind of thing yeah uh still working on stuff with uh the god eater the metal band we have shows coming up and we play local stuff we don't really play out like tours or whatever to play bars it's a lot of fun and uh um i also like uh, all sorts of just like other sort of side stuff like i i want to if I if I do things in the most efficient way possible, then what should happen is that I should be putting out three videos a day on YouTube. And I was doing that for the month of July. I actually kept up kept that up with that. Um, and then I went to dance fair in uh, Holland. Yeah. And that immediately destroyed my 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 flow. <laughs> and so I've been kind of kind of bumming it for the last for a couple of hours. But I'm about to kick it back into high gear and do do more stuff. Cool. And so that, that involves just coming up with all sorts of stuff to do, usually like uh, making tracks and recording like the creation process, uh, messing around with the hero rack stuff and explaining every single thing I can think of explain. Yeah. Are these like bite-sized videos or are they quite long? In some, They're a bit longer than maybe like more other larger professional channels tend to be. Like they're, they tend to range between like 10 to like 40 minutes. Okay. And if they're... There's only like only like when I do live streams, I tend to chop it up and like just in, into clear like half hour chunks. Um, if the, if whatever I'm talking about like is just done sooner than it is, but then if it also goes longer than it does, yeah, it's very I wing everything. Like I, that's actually like a, a kind of an important thing to think about. If if anyone ever decides they want to do videos, like I just said that I, I want to put out three videos a day, twenty one videos a week, some huge number per month. Like it's a it's an unimaginable amount of videos. Yeah, but 
I don't. I do no video editing. Okay, so it's all just uncut, low yeah. kind of thing. So exactly, I wing every single thing. I barely plan what I'm going to do, and I just do it. That's really cool. And hope it kind of works. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really cool. So it's obviously working for you right now. Cool. So I've got a couple of questions left just to wrap things up. Um, one I always ask everyone, uh, which is your three top albums or artists. If you can name them, anything like influential that stuck with you all this time. All right. Um, I, I guess in no particular order in terms of like better or worse. Yeah. Uh, Hold Your Color by Pendulum. Yeah. Uh, Animals as Leaders by Animals as Leaders. Oh, I love that album. That's a good album. That's, that's really good. Yeah. Did, you, did you hear uh, the newer one? No, I haven't yet. No. It's a lot, it's a lot better than uh, Weightless. <laughs> okay. I'll, have to definitely, I'll definitely check that out. It's one band yeah. I kind of like. They float in and out of my conscious. There's another band called Let Live, who I mm. really like, but then kind of they disappear out of my consciousness, and now they've just come back with a new album. So. Yeah. Fun, fun fact about Animals as Leaders is that the, um, the first album was kind of co-produced with uh, Misha Mansour from Periphery, mm-hmm. and the Weightless second album was not. Oh, okay. And it shows, because Tozen, Tozen Abasi is like the most ridiculous guitar player alive. Yeah. And he... He is an endless, like, endless technique kind of riff machine. But, like, I, in my opinion, his writing style doesn't really match. So, and, like, Misha is sort of the exact opposite. Like, he's all about groove. He's he's a totally fine guitar player, but he's not, like, at anywhere near uh, Toes and Abasi. Yeah. So he can, like, he control, he reins him in and, like, has him, you know, kind of work it out, which is why, because, like, Animals as Leaders, the first album was, like, flawless from beginning to end. Yeah. Every single thing was just perfect and the best it could have been and weightless was just meandering and weird the whole time and then this current one which i really can't remember the name of the album damn but um it had misha was back like yeah. misha came back so that's why it was good nice <laughs> it's funny how uh, that happens how like artists either they don't become available to produce it or you know you find out why that album worked so well before um and it is probably just just a producer that can, like you say, rein someone in, um, just to you know keep it keep it on track, if you will. So uh, their last album was uh, was it the Joy of Motion? Yeah, that. Yeah, I kept yeah. I kept wanting to call it physical education, but I know that's one of the, that's one of the it's track. one of the tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I'll definitely check that. I've just added it to my playlist. So uh, as you were talking about it, so I'm gonna definitely check that one out. I, it came out. 2014 you see they just kind of drift in and out and i don't <laughs> if i don't see the name i don't think about it but i remember them i remember that first album being amazing so. yeah it's pretty pretty groundbreaking cool cool and then um i suppose uh, it's a kind of a toss-up this is the third one it's between um the prodigy experience by prodigy yep and uh it's just moving down but it's just moving down oh what uh, self-named titles a lot of self-named albums i just realized <laughs> But those two are quite different ends of the spectrum. You've they got are kind of like a, a an early rave album, uh, and they got System of a Down, which again was very kind of um, groundbreaking on its own because there wasn't many bands that kind of threw that kind of sound together. Uh, it had like Mr. Bungle and Incubus, but it was kind of a mold of the two that kind of um, yep, and a little bit of Megadeth, <laughs> a little bit of Megadeth, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's three three good albums. Pretty good albums and artists, so yes, yeah. Cool. Those original albums were pretty big inspirations as far as like my musical styles is concerned. Yeah, yeah, because I can hear like in 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 your music, I heard a couple of like 
UK sort of dance artists. Cool. And so uh, what are your hobbies away from music when you're not producing, making videos, things like that? What, what do you do to kind of uh, Well, <laughs> not a whole hell of a lot. No? Um, especially not these days. Like, it's not, it's not even really like I don't have the time. Like I, I said before, like I, I used to be big in the games. I totally still am. Like I follow gaming news and like I'm, I'm super excited about like the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like Vive, I call it the Vibe, and like I'm absolutely gonna get one of those because damn. But <laughs> it's I just the kind of time that I used to devote to games is not even a little bit available to me, and it's it's interesting because it's by choice, you know, because I work for myself and more or less entirely, and uh, and like because like fixed just sort of lets me do whatever I want, <laughs> and uh, so like w- whatever I'm doing with my time is just kind of based on my own personal decisions about what I want to accomplish. And uh, I just kind of just choose to do that. Well, thank you for your time. Um, we've come to the end of the show, so um, yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for answering my questions and spending a bit of time having a conversation and stuff. Um, yeah, so um, your Wizard Base EP is out now on Fixed. Uh, go get it on the Fixed Store um, forward slash Seamless R. Indeed, it is. Address. I also want to point out that there's the uh, deluxe version of the album, which includes the project files to all the tracks. Oh wow! So people can remix and things like that with them. Yep, and it's not just stems; it's the actual like the, the project I used to make it, so that they can see the sound design, they can see the mixing, everything, every single thing from the ground up. All right, cool. And that is that just for FL Studio, or is that? Uh, it is that... an FL Studio project, so there's that kind of limitation. Okay, cool. Well, that's really cool. I've not known an artist to do that before. So uh, to give away like the the project files in stems, obviously, because you can get people to remix your stuff and things like that, but. The actual pro- project file that's that's really cool and that's only 9.99 on the store is that right i think that is right i don't think that's right you don't think that's right I'm pretty sure that's just a regular album pretty the sure. deluxe is something like 30 dollars, i think i forget but you can also get the individual uh projects in case you don't want to get the whole thing but it is cheaper if you do get the whole thing thank you um and yeah uh enjoy the rest of your day you too sir cool bye-bye later So, we are at the end of another show. That was Stephen, a.k.a. Seamless. Go check out Wizard Bass, which is his current release, out now on Fixed Music. Go to the fixstore.com. Maybe buy some other stuff. Use my coupon code. Get 10% off. It's always worth it. Save a buck here. Save a penny there. It's always good. And yes, check out Krakatoa God Eater on Bandcamp. That's good stuff as well. Uh, just listen to it, and uh, it was good. So, uh, yeah, that is it for this week. Next week, I have Dan, a.k.a. Voicians, another fixed artist, in his first audio interview, all the way from Germany. So, yeah, look forward to that if you're a fixed fan. So then, yes, that is it for this week's show. So until next week, this is DJ Force X, out. <laughs>